0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, an investigative journalist discusses the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy and the innocence of Sirhan Sirhan.
1: He was highly, highly susceptible for hypnosis, highly, highly, and making him a very perfect individual for an operation where mind control could be applied.
0: Welcome to this exclusive episode of Conspiracy Unlimited Plus, available to my premium subscribers. This episode marks the beginning of an ongoing series on Operation 40, the codename for the CIA-sponsored assassination squad that has been linked to so many assassinations, including Robert F. Kennedy, who we'll be discussing shortly, in addition to JFK, Martin Luther King Jr., and John Lennon truth seeker, code breaker, and peacemaker Ole Damgaard was awarded the Prague Peace Prize and adopted by the, he's an author, international speaker, former journalist, musician, composer, artist, inventor, and investigator who has dedicated the last 35 years to researching many of the global conspiracies. Millions of viewers and listeners around the world have viewed his interviews and presentations. His main focus has been to find out the truth about the assassinations of JFK, the Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palme, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, John Lennon, and Lady Diana. Plus, the hundreds of alleged mass shootings and terror attacks such as 9-11, Norway, Oklahoma City, and many more. Ole Damogard, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm really
1: good, thank you. And thank you for having me on the show.
0: My pleasure. 52nd anniversary of the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. First, before we delve into some of the specifics of the case, let me get your reaction to, I guess it's been within the last year, maybe last 14 months, that uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. actually visited... Sirhan Sirhan in prison and um, had a face-to-face meeting with him. It seems that Bobby Jr. came away from that meeting believing that Sirhan Sirhan was not the gunman.
1: What are your thoughts? I tell you not to be rude in any way or form, but uh, anyone that believes that Sirhan Sirhan is the shooter is, uh, I think, the IQ that is rude. I don't want to say that, but it's a no-brainer that he was not the one uh, shooting. If you look at it from a forensical point of view, he could impossibly shoot Kennedy, uh, RFK, the way that they say he did. So, it's uh, he was in the conspiracy for sure. But the whole re what we're going to go through today is how was he used in this operation, and who else was involved? Because that is where it gets interesting. So but I would say we have an ind- individual who have been manipulated into that position and who has spent the, um, the main part of his life in prison for absolute no reason. So I think just like the King family, or I think it was uh, Dexter Martin, Martin Luther, uh, Luther King's son met James Earl Ray in prison before James Earl Ray died, and uh, I mean totally convinced that he was... T- Absolutely innocent, and it's the exact same thing here. Both James o. Ray and Sirhan Sirhan are just the pieces in a much, much bigger puzzle.
0: I wanted to ask you about the sort of the the timeline, because Bobby was supposed to go to the other end of the the ballroom and and um, and greet some other people, and it was his uh, his campaign aide, Fred Dutton, said, "No, no, we're not doing that. We're going to go this way." And yeah. uh, the, he and, and William Barry, who is his bodyguard, former FBI agent, they seemed to lead the way, along with this maitre D Carl uh, Euchre. And Bobby yeah. was following him. Um, because if you think about it, if it was Sirhan Sirhan, how would he have known where to be? It was It seemed like a last minute change in plans. So what do you make of that decision by by Fred Dutton? What do we know about Fred Dutton and and the, the idea that Sirhan Sirhan couldn't have known, had he been acting on his own, that they were going to make that last minute change in the route through the, the kitchen pantry?
1: I would say it's highly, highly suspicious uh, when, when that happened, also because it, it breaks all kinds of security rules to go in through a packed area like that, a small little kitchen. It was uh, the connection to another room where there were other people meeting, but they were actually the, the whole thing. When you see it, it's, it smells a long way of an ambush, a setup that you know like, that had been prepared for a long time. And when also when you see the observations of of Sidhan this day, where he was not alone, and where he seems to have been in a group of uh, five people in total or more uh, that were there, including the the infamous, uh, uh, girl in the polka dot dress or the woman in the polka dot dress, I, do you know, to, to change the route in, at the last minute in through a kitchen like that, right into the arms of, um, a mind controlled asset like Sidhan, Sidhan, we're going to come to that. But also there were multiple shooters in there. So that is, uh, I cannot explain that in other way than being super suspicious of that move. What do we know about
0: Fred Dutton? Have, has anyone, have you looked into Fred Dutton's background?
1: and is Nope. I, I, I've never heard of anyone doing it, but really, he should be questioned very much so. And also… Or, and uh, at least find out, was it his decision or was he sort of uh, influenced by someone else that was there that day? Right like William Barry
0: his bodyguard who's former FBI was Barry still beholden to J Edgar Hoover who hated Bobby obviously so there's some interesting angles as you say that
1: haven't been examined you can say that again and if you look at uh, we have to see the bigger picture when when I started looking into these things Around 1980, when I I really got obsessed about JFK, especially to start with. But that led me into the cases of Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, Robert Kennedy, and so on. And to start with, I did not have, I had no idea that they were connected in any way or form, except that they all occurred in the same nation that was about it but i tell you over the years i found so so many connecting dots between these operations and j edgar hoover is key in all of them and he hated robert kennedy he hated john kennedy and he hated martin luther king and he hated malcolm x and it was j edgar hoover i'm not saying he's the kingpin in this operation, but he's way up there and the FBI have made itself very infamous when it comes to many high level cases, but where their part of it seems to have been to cover the whole thing up and uh, replace, get rid of real evidence and replace it with fake leads pointing towards a prepared patsy. So leads into the FBI and the CIA. The CIA, you will see, also very, very dominant in these operations here with the same key players. We're talking about a small little, uh, almost like a rogue in a group of people that are carrying this out. And you will also see that there were people that were in Dealey Plaza during that operation. That was also at the Ambassador Hotel uh, at the night of um, when Robert Kennedy died.
0: Right. And there also seems to be a lot of intersections with the mob and the CIA operation in Cuba. A lot of these same names pop up that were involved in the Bay of Pigs. Watergate. (laughs) It's the same cast of characters. Let me ask you a little bit about Sirhan's background. He has been portrayed. We know he was a Jordanian, a Palestinian, but he has been portrayed as someone who had a long hate on for Bobby Kennedy because of Bobby's vocal support for the state of Israel. And this has been used as the official motive, that Bobby supported Israel. Sirhan was a Palestinian, therefore, and you know, of course, supposedly in his diary, he wrote over and over again, must kill Bobby Kennedy, must kill Robert F. Kennedy. Tell me about that, or disabuse us of that notion that Sirhan Sirhan hated Bobby Kennedy.
1: There's absolutely no signs of it at all. He was not politically involved. He was uh, uh, just an ordinary, kind, uh, uh, very humble, uh, low-key person, very small. He's not very tall. He was working as a, um, uh, what do you call it, Uh, a jockey? Is that what you call it in English? Uh, Well, he was training,
0: yeah. I guess he was training horses. He was training at the Santa Ana racetrack, yeah.
1: Exactly. And it was at that place where he also had an accident where he hit his head badly. He had uh, a lot of problems with headaches and stuff. And he was he was uh, seeking uh, aid, you know, through different doctors trying to get rid of these symptoms and so on. And there are signs that seems that it might have been during this process that he was... Uh, hijacked by people that were in this operation because he was highly highly susceptible i think the yes. english word is yes. for hypnosis highly highly and uh, making him a very perfect uh, individual for an operation where mind control could be applied and uh, this mind control when when i look at many of the high level cases the i think mind control is used too often by researchers. They ju- it's very easy to just throw it out there when you don't really understand a situation. You just say, well, he was under mind control. But there are two cases where I would say that the patsies were really under mind control. And this is one with Sirhan Sirhan and uh, Mark Chapman with um, the alleged killer of, of uh, John Lennon. And in these cases as well, we're seeing the sa- same people involved again with John Lennon's death, there's key people there and one of the key um, groups that are in all of these are a group that was called operation 40 I'm not sure if you uh, have been talking about that on your no, show but no, that, that is so important to understand okay so operation 40 or group 40 was a um, okay let me rewind a bit in the late 50s and early 60s, you had um, the CIA was moving forward very fast and was more and more being used to arrange for military coups, overtake of countries, eliminating political leaders and stuff. And up until that point, they had to send their own people out and then recruit local people to join into the operation. They had to train and It was quite a big thing. You know, and it's hard to keep it uh, on it with a low profile so that nobody would um, would discover what they were doing. So someone came up with the idea, why don't we make a mobile unit that can be used anywhere so we just practice or we train them once and for all and then wherever we have a problem, maybe be Congo or Nicaragua or in the state whatever, we just send our mechanics. And so uh, the... The idea came under Eisenhower, and he gave the task to Vice President Richard Nixon. So Richard Nixon uh, had to gather a group of um, former, oh, not former, but uh, like CIA old wolves, and the people that he uh, asked to join this whole thing to recruit people into this operation was uh, David Attlee Phillips, who has been now... Uh, very famous for JFK researchers because he was the handler and controller of Lee Harvey Oswald. He was also the handler of James Files, uh, which, um, in my opinion, and other researchers, uh, was the guy behind the picket fence. There were multiple shooters in Dealey Plaza, but he was the guy behind the picket fence. And David A. K. Phillips. he was also the station chief in Mexico City, and he was the chief of the Western Hemisphere for these COVID operations, so not a low... Uh, I mean, he was a top player in these operations. So there was this guy, and then you had Ted Shackley, also called the Blonde Ghost, who took over after him as the head of the Western Hemisphere. Ted Shackley was a very, very, in many ways, sophisticated, but extremely brutal person. There are very few photos of him because uh, they called him the ghost as well, because you never really got a hold of him. And he has been key in so many operations including operation phoenix in uh, south america where they were taking out uh, supporters to alienda and western uh, supporters but also the the mass extension program in vietnam ted jackley was key in many 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 big operations operation condor in south america uh, he was also a key player in in the iran contrast later on and uh, so highly highly dark individual in many of these operations. So there were these two, and then you had the third person that uh, Richard Nixon recruited for this task. It was um, E. Howard Hunt, who had been part of the operation, um, taking over in Guatemala. Many of these operations, uh, also the overtake in, in Iran or in Persia, it was called, where they, they knocked out the Mossadegh and put the Shah in the throne. and so. They had a very good reputation, and so these were the key players that were being recruited to this thing. And so what they did was at that point, the target or the the demon in their point of view was Fidel Castro, who had taken over on Cuba and knocked out or uh, they kicked out the all the different agencies and the mob from uh, the casinos, from all kinds of illegal activities where Cuba was sort of like a safe haven for them, and when Castro took over, he kicked them out and just uh, got rid of them. So it was a mass, major problem, also for the CIA and for drug import and in so many different ways. So anyway, so Castro was the main target for Operation 40 to start with. So these three individuals, uh, Ted Shackley, David Atlee Phillips, and uh, E. Howard Hunt started recruiting. People in uh, Florida, and what they did was they recruited mostly um, exile Cubans that had escaped from Cuba, escaped away from uh, from um, Castro, or uh, deserted on him. Like uh, they they've split ways with them and became enemies instead. So what they did was they recruit these people and many of them were former police officers, agents. uh, They had been in the military, they had been in intelligence and so on. Many of them, very brutal as well. So they were recruited also because they were hateful of uh, Castro, so that worked perfectly. And then, in the end, they had a group of, I believe at that point, about 80. And these 80 people were trained in everything from uh, blackmail, extortion, um, all kinds of um, manipulation, propaganda, and so on. But about 20 of them were specially uh, trained, they were hand-picked, and specially trained for assassinations. And so they were sent to Guatemala, where they were trained in jungle warfare, they were training outside Lake, uh, Lake Pontchartrain in, in Louisiana, and they were down in the Everglades in Florida training, learning anything from bazookas, to mines, to explosives, to poisons, to you name it, they were trained in it. And it, it is in this group where you find the key players that will occur over and over and over and over and over again. And the paymaster of this group that was uh, initially organized through Eisenhower by uh, Richard Nixon, the paymaster, guess who that was? That was a young George Herbert Walker Bush. So.
0: Who, doesn't, who is, doesn't remember where he was on November yeah, 22nd, 1963.
1: No, it, <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a bummer. But, uh, I mean, come on, give him some slack. Uh, you had Junior seems to have been there as well. George uh, Bush Jr. seemed to have been in D. La Plaza that day as well. But uh, if I'm correct, Bush was even in the Daltex building together with some of the shooters. Uh, Chucky Nicoletti, you had... Uh, um, uh, Johnny Rosselli was there. Hmm. Uh, you had uh, the spotter with uh, uh, Tony Esquierdo, But we're not going to talk about uh, JFK this time. Th- there were multiple shooters surrounding the whole of D.D. Plaza because it was a masterpiece when it comes to organized ambushes. Absolute. Right. That's why we're still confused. Oh, it was more than triangular. They were all over the place. And I've identified, I believe, more or less all of them. Uh, so we can do another show about JFK if you right, want, where
0: right. I can go into it. I've, I've often remarked uh, that the maybe the only person who didn't have a gun that day was Lady Bird Johnson. Um, you mentioned yeah, yeah. Johnny Roselli, uh, who's actually has an interesting connection to the RFK assassination. And I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit, but during the trial, Sirhan Sirhan was his defense lawyer was Grant Cooper. And he was kind of compromised. Uh, People say that he was, I mean, he offered up a very inept uh, defense for Serhan. But Cooper was compromised because he had been indicted in this Friars Club card cheating case in which Johnny Roselli was a defendant. And Cooper had uh, in his possession stolen transcripts from the grand jury. He was facing jail time for that. It's been suggested that Roselli may have um, planted those uh, transcripts in Cooper's office. But instead of doing jail time, Cooper got off with a $1,000 fine. And one has to wonder, uh, was that in exchange for throwing Sirhan under the bus and basically taking a dive in the case? What do you think?
1: I think that when you look at all of these bigger big cases you will see that to control operations like that they need to be able to control the judge the people in the courtroom both defenders and accusers they need to control certain media outlets because the media outlet needs that is very very important they also need to control the coroner and uh, so and the autopsy and so and the investigation itself because the investigation in these high-level uh, high cases are part of the crime. But their task is not to find the truth. On the contrary, to just drag it out, drag it out, drag it out, point at the patsy, point at the patsy, point at the patsy. If someone like myself turns up, destroy them, get rid of them, discredit them, whatever. Anyone that is really looking for the truth, stop it. That is what they do. And so the investigation itself is interesting because you will see very often key people that have been in other very controversial cases that pops up again. So these people need to be looked at with a big magnifying glass. And also um, in these cases you have where where ordinary citizens come forward and say, come on, you have to be kidding me. What you have presented you know, of your investigation is an absolute joke, like the magic bullet, these type of things. This is, it's just not true. And what they do then is that they, they uh, organize a committee and the committee will have some fancy name like the Truth and Reconciliation, no, Truth and Stardust, uh, whatever, committee that will look into it uh, and they will look, they will spend about a year going through everything. That's what they tell us. But what they're doing, I tell you, they're drinking vodka and throwing darts. And then often you have like uh, a month or two into when this uh, uh, commission, sorry, did I say committee? I mean commission. Uh, this commission would then have some kind of a scandal. There would be some ridiculous thing that will in in the paper say, well, it's uh, it's very sad, but we've had this scandal. Maybe this member of the of uh, the commission has misused his credit card and bought like a a bag of MMs for tax money or whatever. So we have to get get rid of him because we're so honest, and we have to get rid of him. So they get in a new member of this commission, and then they say, well, to fill him in on. Everything that we've done so far, that will take at least another three, four, five, six weeks. I mean, and then after about a year, they present like a thousand pages thick stack of paper, often without a, an index that says more or less nothing. They it will say that, well, the investigation made a mistake here, 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 here. here. But otherwise than that, grew, they did a good job. And we've done a great job, by the way. And so that's the first commission. If we then, the normal uh, individual, says, but listen, this is a joke. You have to look into this. They will come on with a new commission, and that commission will look into the first commission that looked into the investigation, and none of the commissions are looking, really, are looking into the crime itself. And so, like, for instance, the alleged assassination of the Swedish prime minister, Ulf Palme, in 1986, we've had four commissions in Sweden, where the commissions had looked into each other's and blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's dragged out for many, many years. It's the biggest murder investigation in the history of the world and the most expensive one as well. It's cost the Swedish taxpayers two billion Swedish kronor, two billion. I don't know the exchange rate, but it is a hell of a lot of money, I can tell you. When, especially when you know that they're there to cover the whole thing up. Well, one of the problems with uh, re is
0: the LAPD seems to have a problem with preserving evidence, uh, and we saw this with uh, the Marilyn Monroe uh, case, uh, and and also obviously with with uh, Bobby Kennedy's assassination. We had the the uh, the ceiling tiles, where the acoustic tiles, where they uh, they found these bullets. A lot of the bullets, they, they, everything just disappeared. Um, who do you suspect was on the ground uh, sort of pressuring the LAPD to destroy evidence?
1: You have to look at the power pyramid, who is behind this. And this is where we get into, uh, I would say, indirectly the New World Order. So the order comes from way, way up there. And then the people down sort of in the machine – on a lower level, that's where you have people like J. Edgar Hoover and so on. He would never do this on his own. On the, You also got precedents and so on. They are on a lower level. So the order comes from above and then it goes down, 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 down. And so the LAPD is like way down, way down on the line. But what is good for the dark forces is that they have used them multiple times. They are very corrupt, at least key people in this um, uh, organization, and they keep using the same ones. If you look at uh, Marilyn Monroe, that is a very, very connected case with these other ones. She was involved with both the, the Kennedy brothers, with the mob, you have the whole set up there as well. Very, very interesting and very multi-layered case, Marilyn Monroe. Suicide, absolute no way on the horizon it has nothing zero percent with what happened to do so um once again i got no, confused no that's okay that's okay well the the other the
0: other common thread there is thomas noguchi who was the uh, the coroner uh, uh, a medical examiner in la county uh, involved in both cases and in the the bobby kennedy case uh, you know his finding was that that Bobby, because the the, the, the the shot that went to uh, Bobby's right ear was fired from behind, about an inch away, which again would, would seemingly rule out uh, Sirhan Sirhan, uh, and Noguchi stood by those findings and was basically chased out of uh, L.A. Uh, I'm surprised he was actually allowed to live, but... Um, Talk to me about that particular aspect of the case. The position of Sirhan uh, being pinned against the steam table to Kennedy's Mm -hmm. right, uh, and yet Kennedy is shot behind the right ear at close range.
1: I mean, you've just described the whole case in less than 30 seconds. It's a no brainer. Sirhan Sirhan, at no point was he anywhere closer than two to three feet. Most the uh, witnesses say that he was further away than that. He was right in front of, of Robert Kennedy. He held the gun parallel or downwards uh, at a slight angle downwards while starting to shoot. So at no point were, were Robert Kennedy twisted around so that he was sort of facing the um, facing sirhan with the back of his of his head he wasn't so there's absolutely no way that sirhan could have put a gun point blank more or less like very very close to, uh, behind the ear of robert kennedy and fire the final shot no, none of these shots that were hit robert kennedy came straight from the front so where did it, they hit they came s- behind and to the right that's where they came from a downward angle going upwards so I mean, and you don't have to be super clever just to, to think that, okay, then the gun has to have had to be somewhere on the right hand side of Robert Kennedy, down and aimed upwards at an angle. And this is totally opposite what we hear witnesses describe. And there were many witnesses describing Sirhan Sirhan. And none of them say that he could get that close. And my God, did the FBI try to? to reconstruct the whole thing and make all kinds of things. But the the interesting thing is many times when they did these reconstructions, they didn't have the actual witnesses there. It was only people from the, from the police authorities and FBI that were there. So when it comes to Gucci, I say, I love people, you know, and I think that most of us have a good heart, a good intention. And somehow, sometimes... We can get ourselves into difficulties, and sometimes that these difficulties can lead to you becoming corrupt. You can have been led into an ambush where uh, suddenly you have you have um, made a massive mistake. And I mean, J. Edgar Huber was famous for putting people in in very intricate situation, maybe with prostitutes or, or homosexual situation, where it was being filmed and J. Edgar Hoover spent I think at least half his budget just finding weapons that he could use against people in power positions within the US. You know, so for them to to control him in the Marilyn Monroe case, maybe he just felt I feel really awful. Here I am again, you know, but this time I'm gonna stick with my guns. Plus how do you how do you explain? I mean, there were even hair is burned away from the head of uh, Robert Kennedy. So there's no way that you can say that the gun was further away. Right, powder burns and, on his jacket, on yeah, his shoulder. On 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 exactly, or, yeah. exactly. So, so good on him. And uh, unfortunately, he follows a very clear pattern of people when they stand up against these forces. They get destroyed. But he was kind of a high-profile prof- individual, meaning that should he suddenly have died, in a car accident or happened to drown fully dressed in his bathtub or something like that, that could have put fire on the the critics and they wanted to shut this thing down because you also have to understand this happened in a very turbulent time in America and in the world. There was a lot of almost civil war tendencies. The Vietnam war was going on. Uh, there was a lot of protest against that. And then you had the, the, This duo, Martin Luther King, cherished by many, many people of all colors, including people of low income. So it wasn't even it wasn't only a he wasn't only a black leader, but like the Million Man March was for everyone that was being uh, crushed by the system and and totally used. So it was him. And then you had Robert Kennedy with the whole legacy of the. Kennedy name and JFK as a martyr and and saint, and then he came as a more or less like a a rock star in on stage quite late, but also wanting to, you know, clear up, I'm sure, the murder of his brother. And had he become president, J. Edgar Hoover would have been out the same day and very quickly and also... Robert Kennedy would go after all of these uh, uh, people that were involved in JFK in the assassination. And he was fearless, Robert Kennedy. When you look at the way he chased the mob, I mean, in one year, and this was the mobsters that had helped JFK through his father come to power, you know, especially the Chicago mob. And so, so he, in one year, he got the sentence of, I think it was like 700%. So there was this witch hunt going on. And and uh, Robert Kennedy, with all of his kids and big family behind him, stood up against mobsters, you know, really pushing it, pushing it. Jimmy Hoffa and and uh, uh, Giancarna and all of these, he just stood up with them, fearless. So him as a president, oh, my God. And... What I believe, this is speculation, but what I believe the idea was, was that Robert Kennedy would become president and Martin Luther King would be vice president. And that duo, can you imagine a world had these two become the leaders of the U.S. compared to what we're living in now? I mean, because...
0: I hadn't uh, hadn't heard that that he was considering MLK Jr. as a running mate. That's
1: 52 years ago. I'm speculating, but right. when the more you see of how this was working towards that, that I think that is a, a good possibility. I don't know. I say again, I am speculating, but then you see uh beginning of April, boom, they took out Martin Luther King. I believe, hoping that they had fi- scared off Robert Kennedy as well, but he just got going. He just kept going. And then two months later, almost exactly two months later, they take out Robert Kennedy. And that was like, uh, you know puncturing all hope and i mean the air just went out of everything everybody lost the faith and first jfk malcolm x then Ma- uh, martin Luther king and robert kennedy it was game over and these dark forces the the this deep state uh, structure had a the ball uh, uh, what do you call it the uh, the whole stage for themselves, they could just do whatever they wanted, which they had done.
0: I wanted to ask you quickly about the uh, the audio tape recording. I believe the freelance journalist was Canadian who was running a recorder in the pantry, Przezinski. It's known as the Przezinski tape. And it's been examined, um, I guess, most notably by forensic expert Philip Von Prague. But uh, a a number of uh, other audio specialists, uh, uh, Philip Whitehead from the Georgia Institute of Technology, um, on and on it goes. Uh, And and according to their analysis on that audio recording are 13 shots being fired, keeping in mind that Sir Hans Ivor Johnson Uh, held eight shots. It was an eight shot Ivor Johnson, 22 caliber pistol. So we have to account for the other five shots. Have you, have you had a chance to analyze or listen to that tape?
1: I have, but I mean, these experts are a lot better than I am. What they say is that they say there was at least 13, because sometimes, you know, if shots are fired exactly at the same time, it's very, very hard to to uh, be able to hear the exact difference, so at least thirteen. But that just shows you the whole thing. I mean, that the official story there should just go and bury itself because that shows you 100%. There was more than one shooter, just like in Dallas, like three shots. Oh my God, there were so many shots fired, but at the same time, and here and also there are things called silences. So you have like. How many was in there? Because what I can guarantee you is that the people under mind control are often not skilled assassins and you need to be very skilled to to make a killing. Even do you know, like shooting someone in the head, I mean it's more than, more than once. The bullet have just gone straight through and people have survived. So you need to make sure if you put people in an ambush, this classical thing minimum triangle of fire, you know? So should, so there's always like option one, two, three, or A, B or C or whatever. So you got multiple shooters, you got multiple escape cars, you got multiple patsies also. So that should, should it not work with one, there would be a double nearby that could be blamed or, so they prepare the whole thing for a long time. I don't think there was so much preparation done in any way or form. Compared to JFK, when you look at the assassination of Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, yep, that was also very advanced, but Robert Kennedy, it feels more like it was, uh, they just got desperate and said, okay, take him out, take him out. Because he had just won and was on his way to Chicago, and that was sort of like, had he gone there, the door to the White House would have been open, nobody could have stopped him. And so they, they did it there uh
0: if sirhan was hypnotized to be the, the the fall guy in other words he did fire his weapon uh but he wasn't the one that that fired the 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 fatal shot um why not just have sirhan sirhan actually assassinate uh, uh robert kennedy why have him hypnotized but only to be the
1: fall guy once again because it's because they're not skilled killers. They they are easy to control. And I think that in in many of these operations, if there are mind control involved, it is for the patsy. You know, the patsy will just be standing there waiting to be arrested or uh, take the fall and then repeat like a recorded story in their head. But they're not skilled killers. You need to be very skilled. and And I've Got I don't know what to call a privilege or I know people that were former assassins like Chip Tatum, a CIA whistleblower that was actually the commander of Pegasus, an ultra secret hit team uh, privately um, controlled by George Bush Sr. And he was part of taking out 14 people at least uh, internationally. So he is uh, not just anyone. And he says the world of assassins are very small because At least the high level ones, because it takes a very special uh, individual to be able to cope with these things, to be able to be cool enough, uh, skilled enough with weapons or whatever, because things change. It's like if you have a bomb, for instance, if you're just going to blow up a building, then you can set the timer, you can make sure that all the technical things are working fine not a problem you can set the exact time when you want it to go off and if you know what you're doing the bomb will go off at that time but when you have a moving target it's super difficult he said like you follow them in a car suddenly they take a right instead of a left you know so the Something happens, uh, suddenly there's a problem with a car or or a bus comes in between or a red light. Not easy because there's so many different moving parts in these operations, you know, that they cannot control. And so they cannot um, count and rely on someone that is not super good at what he's doing. So this is where I would suggest that Sirhan Sirhan was like a distraction. They always want a distraction, something that makes people look over here, like look, left, an explosion, a fire in an industrial area just bef- before the uh, the uh, actual operation goes down so that the local police and fire brigade are over there, the media over there, and boom, then you carry it out. It's in all military operations and black ops. They have a diversion. So you have, and also... A patsy. Somebody needs to take the fall for it so that we will not keep looking. So Sirhan Sirhan, as far as he describes himself, himself, he cannot remember anything. But he can remember being at the firing range, just shooting at uh, a normal target, target practice. So he didn't even see uh, Robert Kennedy. He was in a totally different state. And here, to, to kill someone, according to Chip, uh, it's not easy, and you know to you need to know exactly where to hit someone uh, with what kind of caliber, the the powder charge. You know, if it's too powerful, the weapon, the bullet can just go straight through. It needs to time be what they call downloaded, so that, for instance, and and a twenty-two is actually a a classical. Uh, assassination weapon within the agency because one of the good things according to them is that uh, the bullet goes in it can manage to to make its way through the skull and but not out on the other side like a 357 magnum or something it would just go straight through and i mean most probably kill but uh, then at 22 what what it does is the bullet goes in and then it starts going like ricocheting on the inside of the skull making maximum damage and also
0: At Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. It's, so, it's interesting so he, that if he was hypnotized, we, we've heard from hypnosis experts that tell us you can't hypnotize to do someone do something rather that sort of mitigates against their conscious conscience. conscience. But, uh, you, but you, but you can, you can create a different context. So. Perhaps they hypnotized Sirhan Sirhan with a trigger word with the the lady in the polka dot dress uh, Mm. to imagine that maybe he was he was back at the firing range. He was he thought he was shooting at a target.
1: That is exactly what what he has said, because he he has no recollection of what happened, no idea whatsoever. And of course, it was a big uh, failure in the plan that he didn't even hit Robert Kennedy. I mean. How can you miss him at that distance? You shouldn't be able to. But Sirhan was not a good shot apparently. So miraculously, the, the bullets just hit other places, not him. The, so you, which had he been hit from the front, you know like in the forehead or whatever, there, it would have been a lot easier for them to point at Sirhan Ziran in a bulletproof case and just say it was him. But now he missed all of the shots missed and hit other people. But there were there were more, not only that, there was one uh, shooter behind and to the right. And then there seemed to have been possibly one or two extra shooters as well. The name
0: Thane Eugene Cesar keeps coming up as a possible gunman. Your God, thoughts?
1: Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. But here we have, you got... Um, Sir Han, mind control, and then you have, say, uh, Eugene Caesar, who I would say also possibly could be under mind control as well, to forget the instance, because he's, he's in this operation, he's putting himself in a very, very dangerous position. He's right n- next to Robert Kennedy with a shooter right in front of him. So to get someone to do that, and for no reason. I mean, he. You, when you study his life, he had no financial, whatever, what you could see. He he never made a lot of money. He. I mean, he he hated the Kennedys and so on. But um, so I I truly believe he was the one that was shooting these shots, the the ones that hit. But I think there were more, more shooters than than that as well.
0: Just about and, done. Just about finished here. But the. The uh, the lady in the polka dot dress, um, and, and Sirhan has vague recollections of a giant coffee urn, an attractive woman being there. We have an eyewitness who said, at least one eyewitness, maybe two, uh, a lady in, the, in a polka dot dress leaving the Ambassador Hotel uh, in a very ebullient mood saying, we got him, we shot him, or something to that ex- extent. Are we any closer to knowing... Uh, There have been a number of sort of dead ends in in trying to identify who this woman was. Are are you any closer to knowing who the lady in the polka dot dress was?
1: I I believe I know her. Uh, Her name was uh, Kathy Ainsworth. And uh, the young man that she was together with, who's very tall, his name was Tom Terrence III. Uh, I think he's living now in Israel. She died uh, just a few weeks after the Robert Kennedy assassinations. They were, they were lured into, they both belonged to, to KKK uh, in Alabama, I think it was, and they were very right extremists. They were, Tom Terrence was also, as far as I know, I'm not 100% sure, but his car at least his car was involved in the Martin Luther King assassination as well, two months earlier, with some equipment that was part of disturbing the uh, communication between police cars. Uh, he also says uh, that uh, it is said that he was in Los Angeles uh, trying to be recruited to be part of taking out uh, Robert Kennedy uh, as, a, as a gunman, but it seems like here he was involved in a different uh, way. And just a few weeks after this whole thing. Edgar Hoover very cleverly put a a massive ambush for them. I think there was 26 police officers involved. They were set up. They were, they were uh, equipped with bombs to bomb a Jewish um, businessman's uh, uh, house in, um, I'm sorry, my head again, this uh, tooth thing. Anyway, what happened was that Kathy Ainsworth was, was uh, with her. she was a, a, a local school teacher, right? I mean, she's she's a bit of a legend within the KKK because they're like celebrating her name. She was a very brave individual as well, and uh, so he, she, and Tom Terrence went to bomb this house, but the whole thing was set up. And when, they, when Tom Terrence uh, came to deliver the bomb in the middle of the night with Cassie in the car, 26 police officers opening fi- opened fire, just like uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. You right, know, the whole right. car was shot to pieces. She was killed instantly. He, he managed to drive off. I, th- I don't know how many times he was hit, but multiple, multiple times. And then uh, after a, a car chase, they managed to stop him. They thought he was dead but he managed to survive and then he got to prison and over the years he became a christian and totally changed his life he's written books he's been interviewed and um, a very gentle old man now but i would very strongly suggest that uh, he should be questioned and i think uh, if he listens to this i would say as a christian you have an innocent man that has spent the bigger part of his life in prison, innocent. So, you as an old man, Tom the Third, please step forward, release him, and help us understand this whole thing. That would also help to make your karma better, I think. It's not enough just to become a Christian and work for good. If someone is suffering like that, you need to do your part as well. So, I believe that... Uh, this was the couple. We have this uh, guy that was uh, observed together with her, Kathy Ainsworth, the lady in the polka dot dress. She was 26, he was 21, and they were in a romantic relationship at the time. She was going to have his baby, as far as I know. And this is also what explains that they were running, holding hands when they passed the, this witness in the staircase. And uh, also, I would say, why. Uh, was why were they being ambushed? They were being used by the Fed to, you know, the whole pro and uh, get the whole commotion going between the races. So they were an asset. But then after the assassination of Robert Kennedy, when the lady in the polka dot dress started appearing more and more in media, this mystery, who is she, this mystery lady? And then, boom, these two were taken out very, very, very brutally. And... But against all odds, Tom Terence uh, survived. He now works for the C.S. Lewis Institute, as far as I know. So,
0: um, remarkable, yeah. remarkable information. Oli, I want to thank you so much. Uh, tell us how uh, we can learn more. Tell us about light on conspiracies.
1: I just want to say, David Atley Phillips, both and and uh, he's part of the Operation Forty. He was at the Ambassador Hotel. He was also at Dili Plaza. involved in both of them, according Ah, to me. Then you have George Gionades and Gordon Campbell. These people, I believe, are the ones. So my website is lightonconspiracies.com, lightonconspiracies.com. I'm on Patreon as well because I'm being shut down right, left, and center. So it's patreon.com forward slash lightonconspiracies. And uh, I'm a one-man band that has uh, spent some 40 years trying to find out what is going on because a lot of beautiful people have been taken out when they've had the courage to stand up against these forces and that is not okay with me. So I've got a donation page if anyone wants to exchange energy and support what I do and also a newsletter, a monthly newsletter where I try to describe uh, as clearly as possible what I believe is happening. Many, many photos where I point at stuff and uh, also where I've been able to over the years, predict 59 uh, alleged terror attacks and mass shootings up to two months before they actually happen on international radio. So you can see on my in my newsletter, this is when I pointed out, boom, that's when it happened. This is what I pointed out, boom, that's what happened. So it's all uh, it's all there uh, documented. So it's not just me saying stuff.
0: Ole, you're a remarkable man. Uh, I uh, applaud you for your your courage and your your diligence and your amazing research. And uh, I want to thank you for spending some time with me. And I hope that we can uh, do this again and again.
1: For sure, Richard. I mean, this I'm like rain man in this area. Put me in other areas like the kitchen, I'm a disaster. But for some reason, my brain in this area, when I'm not Uh, we haven't been to the dentist it's pretty sharp so please use it let it make some good out there you know it's uh, so anytime you want just let me know if I can I'll be right there
0: okay before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs just enough time to say thanks for listening and stand by for my next Conspiracy Unlimited Plus episode with Michael Tellinger until then I'm Richard Serrett